0: Well, welcome to Seeing Global Church, and welcome all our viewers who are online from all over the world. It's great to be with you again, great to share with you again. And uh, I've had a lot of feedback from what I shared the other night. I was speaking about the parable of the widow and the unjust judge, and it was uh, particularly around the theme of persevering, prevailing, overcoming prayer, or prayer that breaks through and releases the power of God in this hour, and the necessity of it, particularly in the end times. And uh, so I want to pick that up today and I want to pick up another passage from the Bible and uh, it's also related to the end times. And and the reason I'm sharing about uh, things related to the end times is because we're aware of a global shaking, we're aware of a global upheaval, and all of these are preliminary indications of the end of the age. So uh, I want to read to you from uh, the parable of the, uh, the, the ten virgins or the wise and the foolish virgins. And uh, the theme or the, the message is on the need for intimacy with Jesus. The need for intimacy with Jesus. So let's go to the parable. If you've got a Bible, follow, me, follow along with me. Matthew 25, verse 1. Now the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Now five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps, but they had no oil with them. And those who were wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And then behold, at midnight, or a, a cry was heard Behold, the bridegroom comes, go out to meet him. And all of those virgins rose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. And the wise answered, saying, No, lest it should not be enough for us and for you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and then the door was shut. And afterwards the virgins came, also saying, "Uh, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. And then Jesus applies the teaching, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man is coming. So with all of these parables, you need to look at the context. The context is the setting in which uh, the the teaching is given. And uh, when we look into this, there are two parts to the context and the setting that you need to understand. The first part is the nature of the Hebrew wedding, and the second is the actual context of Jesus' teaching that uh, he was giving at that time. So firstly, just a little background on the Hebrew wedding, because without the understanding of the Hebrew wedding, this won't uh, won't have the same significance. So the Hebrew wedding had uh, three distinct parts to it, at least, and uh, the first was the marriage contract. And the marriage contract was signed by the bride's parents and the groom, and he paid a dowry, and then officially the bride was betrothed, okay? Then the, uh, the, then the 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 groom would uh, go away to prepare a dwelling for the bride. Then finally, the the groom would arrive. So they, would, the, the hour, they didn't know quite the hour when it would happen. They, they knew about the day when it was going to happen. And uh, anyway, the groom would arrive. And so the groom and his friends would arrive at night, and they'd be carrying torches, so there'd be a torch parade through the streets. And uh, then... Uh, even though the bride didn't know when he exact how he's coming she had to be ready at a moment's notice to meet with the bride and then the final part was the marriage supper the bride accompanied the groom and all the party and they went back to the groom's house and then uh, which was the father's house and a room had been built there for her and uh, then they had the wedding supper the wedding celebrations and notice three phases and uh, so we see if you understand that you 'll understand what 's happening in the story in the the story about the uh, about the five wise and five foolish virgins, all are betrothed, all are waiting, and they 're in that period waiting for the groom to arrive and to take them to the marriage feast okay now let 's have a look uh, and then the marriage supper, of course, is referred to uh, in the Bible in revelations chapter nineteen so it 's almost at the end. Uh, of the Bible, in Revelations 19, verse 6, he said, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude is the sound of many waters and the sound of a mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, the Lord God Omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, and, and so on. Okay, so there it is. The Bible describes then the great triumph, uh, uh, the the great event or the greatest event in history, the coming marriage supper of the Lamb. So now the second aspect of the context then is the uh, teaching of Jesus. And uh, notice at, at the beginning is he says, then, then shall the kingdom of heaven be like uh, the, the, the five wise and five foolish men. So then, then refers to The end of the age and the coming of the Lord and uh, in Matthew 24 and 25 it's just one continuous teaching and what triggered this teaching was disciples of Jesus came to him in Matthew 24 verse 3 as he sat on the Mount of Olives the disciples came to him privately saying tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age so this is tell us when these things will be he's just talked about the destruction of the temple Tell us what will be the sign of your coming. There's the second question. And tell us what will be the signs of the end of the age. And so Jesus then gave a detailed description of end time events. There'd be false Christs. There'd be wars. There'd be rumors of war. There'd be famines. There'd be pestilence or like a a, a pandemic that we talked about before. Uh, There'd be great sorrows. And there'd be a great tribulation or shaking in the earth. So he said it's going to be a time of global upheaval. And uh, he said, "When you see those signs, then you know the coming of the Lord is imminent." And then, uh, in the Ma- Matthew 24:25, he reveals something about himself. He reveals in Matthew 25 the uh, the parable of the virgins. He reveals he is the bridegroom who loves his bride. The troth to the bride is wanting intimacy with his bride. Then uh, further down in Matthew twenty-five, he talks in about the servants with the test, the parable of the talents. Some given uh, some given ten, some five, some uh, some five, two, and one talent. He talks about the talents, and he comes there as the king returning in great power and looking to reward uh, those who have served him faithfully. And uh, so we see then finally in the final uh, 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 picture, you see him in Matthew twenty-five, and he's the judge. And he's coming to separate uh, things which violate love uh, from the things which enhance or, or, or are full of the love of God. And so, so he comes in and reveals himself as the bridegroom, as the king, as the judge. It's the same person, different ways he functions and different operations in the end time. All of them he operates in, and we need to understand all of them. You can't just understand uh, or, or, or embrace one aspect of Jesus. You need to embrace all of the aspects he is our bridegroom desiring intimacy and purity he is our coming king with all power who has entrusted to us talents he is the judge of all the earth who will call everyone before him to give account for their life and their actions amen okay then so let's just move on now so we're going to go back into the story now of the uh, virgins and start to flow through the story and i want to open up a few things about this so uh first of all the question we want to ask is who are the virgins we need to know who they are now how you answer that question has a big bearing on how you'll see your responsibility to pre- to to prepare so uh, it says there were five wise and five foolish virgins so some people take the view that these were believers and unbelievers but that cannot be true as i'll show you in just a moment you have to see that the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins are both sets or groups of people. They all have this in common. They are all connected to Jesus Christ. They're all betrothed to Jesus Christ. They're all in a place of waiting for his coming. And that's not going to be true of unbelievers. So, uh, so you notice here the, co- the, 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 the impact of how they respond and prepare. Some are included because they were ready. Some are excluded because they've not prepared. So the question then as you look at this is which in which group do you live which group are you a part of either the five wise one of the five wise or one of the five foolish and number five just speaks uh, of the grace god's grace available for each group Uh, but one group took that grace and applied it the other group didn't Uh, but it's the group of virgins okay now let's have a look then and i want to show you how all of the groups Both groups represent believers. They represent people who have come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Let me give you several reasons why this is so, and then we'll go and have a look particularly at the difference between them. Okay, then. So here's the first reason is Paul called believers virgins. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, he said, "'I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ.'" So notice he's using, as the, uh, he's using the language of the, 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 the Jewish marriage uh, process. And he's the friend of the groom, and it says he's, uh, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I have betrothed you to one husband. In other words, he's saying, as a believer, you are in covenant with Jesus Christ. That means you are betrothed to him. You are in a marriage covenant marriage relationship We're waiting for its consummation, which will be the end of the age, the coming of the Lord and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And uh, so he says then, he says, I'm afraid even as the serpent beguiled Eve from his cunning, your minds may be corrupted away from the simplicity of pure devotion or a deep love and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. So when we're born again, we become covenant believers. We're in covenant with Jesus Christ. We remember and celebrate that every time we have a communion service, that we are in covenant with Jesus Christ. That means we are as bride waiting for his coming and in preparation. And uh, Paul expresses a great concern in that passage that we will be seduced away from just the simplicity of a deep devotion and intimate relationship with Jesus in the same way Eve was seduced away by the devil. And how did he do that? He just offered her a substitute. He offered her an alternative, a life that wasn't centered around what God said and God's requirement for her. And uh, so, so second thing is the oil. You notice that both groups of uh, virgins have oil. And this is the key issue. That's that's gonna be the focus of this parable. So both of them have oil. Now, oil in the Bible, as you're well aware, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit the life of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let me read a verse for you. In Hebrews 1 verse 9, in speaking of Jesus, it says, Now you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness or iniquity. Now notice Jesus has lived a certain life. It's a life of loving what is right and hating iniquity. That's independence, lawlessness, without being under any form of authority, going your own way, just doing your own thing. He says he loved righteousness, hated iniquity. Therefore, because of this, God has anointed him. Notice there's a trade that's taken place. He's committed to a life of loving righteousness and hating iniquity. In other words, he's chosen a certain kind of lifestyle, and in exchange, God has anointed him with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Now notice more than the others or more than his companions mean that there are levels of being anointed. There are levels of having a measure or flow of the Holy Spirit, and we can have more, but there is a price to pay for that. Jesus was anointed above his companions. Why? There was something he'd done to prepare himself in order that this could take place, okay? Alright then, so now let's have a look at the, the, the other thing that indicates these are believers, and that is the groom. And uh, the wise and the foolish virgins are both waiting for the groom. They know the groom is coming, they're looking forward to the groom, and, uh, but unbelievers would have no interest in that at all. They don't know about the second coming of the Lord, they have no idea Jesus is a bridegroom, they have no idea because they're not in that kind of relationship. So there's no way that they would be waiting and anticipating for his return so uh you notice then uh also it says that there are 10 virgins all and in the bible 10 has the significance of being the completion the fullness of whatever is being addressed so 10 commandments is the fullness of the law you know the 10 plagues on egypt the fullness of god's judgment on egypt and so on so we see there uh, uh and so the first thing i really want you to get a hold of when we're looking at the five wise and five foolish virgins we're looking at believers and clearly the end or the outcome of their walk is quite different based on what they did. And there are many, many passages in Scripture that bring out the same truth in different forms. In the coming kingdom of the Lord, in the coming millennial kingdom, we will not have equal standing. We will not have equal relationship or intimacy with Jesus. We will not carry equal authority. We will not have equal service. There are ranks and there are order in in the kingdom of God currently, and in the coming millennial king, kingdom, there'll be some believers who access and enter what God has planned for us. There'll some who'll be excluded, not excluded because God didn't want us, but excluded because we failed to take heed to Jesus' words and to prepare ourselves. Notice what Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. My Father will love you and I will love you. We'll come and manifest ourselves to you. So notice there's a lifestyle of loving Jesus. It's not just about the worship. It's the lifestyle of surrender to him and to his purpose in our life. And that's what's at stake here. And uh, so let's go on then. So now uh, the next thing I'll look at then is the, uh, we we'll looked look at the virgins and understand that they're all believers. Now I want to look at the necessity to have oil in your lamp, the necessity for oil in your lamp. So the first thing there is obviously the wise virgin's lamp, they were, they were shining brightly. Matthew 25 verse 4, the wise took oils in the, the vessels with their lamps. So you notice there that the wise had oil, the lamps were shining brightly. So uh, the lamp that they refer to is a torch and a torch had a flame that gave off light and heat and so on, and the lamp was uh, was fed by a small container that had the oil. It was all part of one thing. And so the small container of oil uh, lit up or fed the wick and then the flame, so the light that came off was fed by the oil within the lamp. And uh, you understand that that oil uh, in the container would have to be replenished. Eventually it would run out. So uh, it's a, a tremendous picture for us of the Holy Spirit in our life uh, of the work of God in our life now notice there the uh, the burning lamp the burning lamp gives off an incredibly bright light and that bright light uh, indicates there's passion it indicates there's fire it indicates there's zeal it indicates we're alive our lives are bright and shining and people are obviously aware that we're believers and Christians and, uh, and uh, the light that they give off, it reflects their passion, it's, uh, it, it's their service, it's the works they do for the Lord, and we'll come to that in a little bit later. Uh, notice what Jesus said uh, in Matthew 20, in Matthew 5, he said, let your light so shine before all men that they may see your good works. So the lamp represents our life giving off a light uh, which is seen by men, it refers to the external things. Notice there, the second thing there was, a, uh, was the importance of the... Uh, of the oil and notice here in this that the both the wise and the foolish virgins have got the oil the oil is the picture of the life-giving spirit and uh, both of them have lamps and both of them are waiting for the groom now let's have a look further now at the importance of the oil now the difference between the wise virgins and the foolish virgins was what the wise virgins willing to pay a price to have oil they paid a price to engage with God so their lives were full of oil, full of the anointing of the life of the fire of the Holy Ghost. And uh, that's the key, the, key, the key passage there at verse 8. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. So the wise virgins, the Bible says, were ready for his coming and had a supply of oil. The foolish ones had no supply of oil and were not ready. Notice what makes you ready, the supply of oil. And uh, so everyone needs a regular supply of oil. We all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. We need to have a prayer life, an intimate life with God, that refuels our inner life, keeps us alive. Now, and then the the next thing about the oil is this, and that is that the oil of the Holy Spirit has impact on our life. So with the lamp, the oil is need for the light to flow out, the light to, uh, no, no oil, no light. But in the same in our life, we need the life of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does a number of things in us. He tenderizes our heart and our life. He makes us soft when we face pressures in life. It's very easy to become hardened and lose your love for the Lord, lose your intimacy for the Lord. So the Holy Spirit, again, as we encounter him, softens our heart, keeps us soft and keeps us in an open state and hungry for Jesus Christ. The, the, another work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the broken areas in our heart. Why is that? Because the broken areas are the places where we keep isolated. They're the places where no one knows us. And they're the places that God wants to access so we can be healed and made whole so if we're not whole there's whole parts of our life that are not known so intimacy with the lord is a progressive thing and it includes not just the softening and tenderizing of our heart but also the uncovering of the places of brokenness and healing so that i can open my life without fear now for a greater level of relationship and intimacy with the lord and uh so um the the Holy Spirit uh, also uh, exposes our motives. He he shows us the places in our life where our motivations are not good, where there's uh, selfishness in the motivation, and uh, that's why it says the the virgins had to trim the wick. In other words, the wick would get dirty, and then the flame would burn dirty. And that pictures a believer and they've got uh, impure motivations. So yes, there's light coming out, but the light is mixed with a bit of smoke of self-centeredness. Of self-gain self-importance all those kind of things you we've all seen that so so the holy spirit works to help us with the process of trimming the wick so the life of god flows and the love of god flows out of our heart by the holy ghost and uh another thing that the holy spirit does is he constantly brings revelation of jesus he reveals who the bridegroom is, the aspects of his character and nature. And in doing that, causes hunger to grow in our heart. So every encounter you have with the Holy Spirit opens up the way for hunger to deepen and to grow uh, and a passion for the Lord. So you you see so many Christians and there's no hunger. They're very passive. They may come to services, may live just like a a good life, but that's not a passionate, on fire, loving God, uh, excited about him that only the Holy Spirit can bring to us. And so the Holy Spirit also uh, creates the energy or fire that, that causes us to be passionate for the Lord, passionate to serve Him. So anyway, let's move on with the oil. So we see what the oil is now. Now, let's have a look at the cost of the oil. There is a cost to the oil. That's the whole key in this passage. Some had oil, some did not. Some paid a price, some would not. So let's talk about the cost. Now, notice the first thing is the foolish virgins realize their mistake. They weren't evil people, they were just entangled with the affairs of life. They were weighed down with cares and troubles and struggles and various other things of life. And, uh, but, and what they did was they neglected, they neglected. Their failure was one of neglect, neglect to develop intimacy with the Lord. And uh, they failed to ensure that they had a supply of oil, a supply of the Holy Spirit that comes out of being in the presence of the Lord in worship and prayer and so on. And so notice in Matthew 25, 8, the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. Notice this statement: "Give us some of your oil." So they're aware of their condition. So in the end time, people just before the coming of the Lord, people will be aware of their condition. And notice there, they wanted others to give to them. So it seems a reasonable thing. Well, you to believe "Well, give me some." And <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> You can't get off someone else what God requires you to pay a price for for yourself. Now, church is addicted. Christians are addicted to getting their needs met off someone else. And it's great that there are anointed ministers and teachers that can bring the Word of God to us. But we must access the supply of the Spirit for ourselves. There's something you've got to do. Uh, Notice that word going out. That word, uh, our lamps are going out, they said. Uh, That word going out means quench. It's the, it's the very word mean quench means to extinguish or to, or to put something out, to, to extinguish or put out a fire that was once burning brightly. And it's exactly the same word that's used when, when Paul is writing Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.19, he says, don't quench the spirit don't put out the fire don't uh don't don't uh, obstruct the flow of the holy spirit in your life so we're told in the bible to be filled with the spirit we're told in the bible not to grieve the spirit that's by our, our actions and attitudes to people but also don't quench the spirit and quenching the spirit has to do with trying to be in control of your life it has to do with trying to control everything keeping everything under your own management so we can quench the spirit and uh, we can obstruct and hinder His flow in our life because of fear where we're wanting to stay in control. So we quench the Spirit or obstruct the Spirit in many different ways. Uh, Lack of prayer will will obstruct His work in your life. Um, The cares of life will obstruct the work of this Holy Spirit. Fear will lead you to try and control all life and circumstances. Uh, that will obstruct the Spirit of God moving. Controlling behavior will try will obstruct the work of the Spirit. So, so we've got to let the Holy Spirit show us where are the places I'm obstructing or quenching you so that your fire is going out of my life. I need to repent of those things, get them out of my life, and, cap, and, and, and come alive with fresh revelation. So uh, we need to place honor and value on the Holy Spirit. He's the source of the oil. Notice what they also said was that, no, 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 you've got to buy for yourself. You've got to buy for yourself. And uh, it seems a little harsh that, you can't, they're not gonna to give to you. We're addicted to someone giving us with nothing, no, no, no cost, but that, as I'll show you in a moment, the kingdom does not operate like that. See, so, so even though salvation is free for us, it costs Jesus his life. So you have something free that someone purchased it by paying a price. So all of the kingdom will operate like that. And you need to understand that. It operates on a principle of trading. People often don't understand that. They sort of think, well, everything's just gonna to come to me free and without effort. And uh, it becomes a distorted view of grace. Notice what he says, buy for yourselves. So you can't borrow off someone else the source of life they have. You can't borrow off someone they're anointing. You can't borrow off people what they paid a price to get. You can receive a touch of it, but it won't abide or last. You have to gather your own. Every Israeli had to, every Hebrew, every Jew had to, to gather the manna daily. We've got to go and get the oil daily as well. Okay then, so, so he says, go and buy for yourselves. Now, what does buy mean? The, the word buy, it refers to an exchange. It means to purchase something by exchanging it for something else of value. So if we want to buy something or purchase something, we have to go to the market, and we have to exchange. We exchange time, we exchange our labor, we exchange our services, we exchange something valuable, we exchange money, and in return, we receive what we're looking for. So what he's saying then, go to those who sell and buy your own, he's saying you need to pay a price to have the anointing and flow and life of the Holy Spirit, and that price uh, as we'll see, is it has to be paid by every person. You have to pay it. Everything in the kingdom has got a price tag to it. Let me let me just show you a few. I can't go into this, but I'll I'll show you some basics of what you need to do. But let, let, let me get, notice in, in Matthew, for example, Matthew 18, verse 4: Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, notice in the kingdom of heaven, there's greatest, greater, great, and then there's those who's least. So. How do I get to be greatest in the kingdom? He says, if you humble yourself. So you notice humility then is the price of greatness in the kingdom. God acknowledges the greatness. We must work on the humility part. Okay. Uh, You want to be great in the kingdom? Then serve. Humility, humble person serves. So you notice that humility then obtains for us something from the kingdom of, of heaven. Okay, I'll give you another example. In uh, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, now notice this, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So notice, reward, something of value in the kingdom of heaven, comes by a price, diligent seeking this is how the kingdom of heaven works It's always an exchange There's always like an altar a place of sacrifice and then a fire that comes and you see that all through the bible there was a like for example david uh they offered him a cheap way they said listen i'll give you the land i'll give you everything you need uh, to build the altar to the lord and he said no i'll not offer anything to god which cost me nothing i'll pay the full price because he understood that in order that this is a spiritual transaction to receive the miracle he's looking for, there has to be an engagement of paying a price. And this is something that so many people don't wanna do. They just want everything for nothing, everything for free, come in and use and enjoy everything someone else paid for, but don't actually understand that pretty well, that's freeloading. That if we want to actually move from receiving into a place of giving, then we actually have to pay a price. And that's uh growing, it's called growing up. <laughs> it's called maturity. So uh, here's another one in, uh, in uh, Luke 4 verse 14. It says, Jesus returned from, uh, from uh, the desert or the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. So he moved in great power. How did he get the power? Well, he paid for the price, 40 days in the wilderness, praying, fasting, meditating, time alone with God. And so on so there's so many scriptures like that in, in Revelation 3 and verse 18 writing to the church of laodicea which is the lukewarm half-hearted church he says he counsels them buy from me so in other words the person we get what we're looking from is jesus but there's a purchase price you need to pay something we need to do that releases a response from heaven and uh so the thing is then for us to have the oil to have a fresh flow of oil, a fresh anointing fresh empowerment there's a price to pay it's called time (laughs) it's called prayer it's called fasting it's called meditating in the word of god it's called sacrifice it's called surrender it's called loving obedience many all of those things are a price we pay in order that we may access the riches of heaven the greater things of the kingdom of God. So, notice this, even though there's a price to pay, it's small when you compare it to the reward. Now, for many people, I think, oh, also I'm and all these things I've got to do. No, 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 what you need to realize is Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. In other words, he, he looked ahead to the reward of laying his life down. It's the same for us. If you don't understand the reward, you won't want to pay the price. Uh, jesus taught a parable there was a man in the kingdom of heaven like a man and he discovered a treasure hidden in the field and he sold everything to get the field in other words he saw the treasure that was eternal and wanted it so much so when we see who jesus is that what's at stake in terms of the marriage supper of the lamb we will want to pay a price we'll be hungry for this okay ready so notice then we get to the end of the story then and, uh, and Jesus talks uh, and talks about there's a warning he gives and there's a reward that is uh, at stake here in that parable. So, this is Jesus' teaching. So, the first thing he says is his teaching. He tells us to stay spiritually alert. Notice in Matthew 25, verse 13 Watch therefore, for you know not neither the hour, nor the day, nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So, notice he's, he's given the parable now and he sums it all up by this is the lesson watch because you don't know when the Son of Man is coming. So he's taking that the Son of Man, or Jesus Christ, will return in power and glory, and like the virgins weren't aware when he came, it's important for you to prepare. preparing means watching. Now, what what does he mean when he refers to watching? The word watch means stay awake, stay alert, uh, stay aware. So it's exactly the opposite to being passive, indifferent, lukewarm or falling asleep and one of the challenges the church faces in, in, in right across our nation is much of the church is asleep much of the church is passive much of the church is indifferent so jesus warning is watch and you'll find in the bible if you read through the new testament in many different places watch watching is connected to prayer watch and pray watch and pray watch and pray they go hand in hand together notice first is watch you need to have an awareness and prayer is what's needed to keep the awareness and to keep you alive and to keep you from temptation then let me give you a couple of verses on that uh, in matthew 26 verse 41 watch and pray lest you enter temptation uh, for the spirit is willing the flesh is weak now, notice then he says that watching and praying will help you recognize coming temptation overcome it in mark uh, 13 verse 35 Watch, therefore, for you don't know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, the midnight, the crowing of the rooster of the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. Now, he's talking to his own disciples. Lest he coming, he finds you sleeping. Sleeping means you're not participating actively in anything going on. You've just withdrawn and shut down. You're in your own world. And then he says, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. In other words, he applies this teaching to all believers all believers jesus commands you watch 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 and pray watch and pray watch and pray stay alive stay vigilant stay filled with the holy ghost stay passionate don't let your life be tapped away see so watch and pray so watch away. everyone needs daily we need to be filled become fresh and with the holy spirit when we have when we are filled with the holy spirit when we engage with the holy spirit then a number of things happen. Uh, it deepens our here, deepens our intimacy. He reveals more of Jesus to us. We become freshly filled. There's a life, there's a flow, there's a vitality, there's a life inside us. Uh, we um, recognize and become empowered to overcome temptation. We know we can see what's happening. We're sensitive and aware and alert. Uh, we can overcome impassivity and spiritual indifference. We, can, we maintain our, our vigilance and life and uh, we, we, we are also empowered by the Holy Spirit to endure hardness difficulties that comes from following the Lord. So so Jesus warns us, stay alive, stay alert, stay awake, pray, keep yourself filled with the Holy Ghost and be alive. You know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, Jesus spoke in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter five, and he, he talked in uh, and he said, he said, you are a light. And he said, you are a light. <laughs> and in uh, a, a, a city that's, that's, that's on it, that's can be seen by all men. He said, so let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. So the shining of your light is the overflow of God-empowered activities and works of a supernatural empowerment and nature. They can be seen, and it's obvious that God is in them. So he's talking about the supernatural. He's talking about your life overflowing with the Spirit of God. Speaking of John the Baptist, he said, he was a bright and a shining light. God wants you to be a bright, shining light. To be a bright, shining light, you've got to have the life, the flow of the Holy Ghost. And here's the deal. There is a reward for a lifestyle like that. There is a cost for a lifestyle that's not like that. Let's just finish with this, uh, with the uh, with the rewarded state. In Matthew 25, verse 10, While they went to buy, the groom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. He answered and said to them assuredly I say to you I do not know you now notice those who are ready that word means to be prepared in anticipation they've, they've gained the oil they made all the necessary preparations and it says they went into the wedding feast and then the door is shut so the door shut means the opportunity to enter that feast was temporary the opportunity had, was connected to being alert and alive And awake when the groom came and being prepared and ready and notice then the door was shut Uh, then he spoke to the foolish virgin he said i did not know you i did not know you said i do not know you and that word do not know or the word know it's a word meaning a knowledge that's gained over a long period of time it's a knowledge acquired through an ongoing lasting relationship So the foolish virgins failed to anticipate the coming, they failed to pay the price, they failed to be intimate with Jesus, and the failure to be intimate then cost them they were excluded from the wedding feast. See, that failure to pay the price means a failure to place value on him and what he's prepared for you. Now you know for any person, if you fail to acknowledge or honor the cost or sacrifice they have paid to prepare something for you and you treat it lightly, you're not going to be asked back again, and uh, so the wise virgins are those who are ready. They have prepared themselves, and they went into the feast. Let's just read then in, uh, in in the final passage in uh, in Revelations uh, 19, because this is the highlight of the the book of Revelation. Most people look at the book of Revelation, they're thinking of beasts and so on. And, end time all kinds of horrors and things but it's actually the revelation of jesus christ look at this he said i heard as in revelation 19 6 i heard as it were the voice of a great multitude the sound of many waters the sound of mighty thunderings this is a great company of people hallelujah the lord god all-powerful omnipotent reign so this is what so in other words jesus has come as the bridegroom he's come as the king to reign in the earth and to upheave the earth And change the earth. And notice what else it says. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife, His bride, has made herself ready. Notice the marriage supper of the Lamb, the great marriage supper, a great celebration, time of intimacy, a time of rejoicing, a time of eating and drinking in the kingdom of heaven, a time of intimate uh, pleasure with Jesus Christ. He says it's come, and for her was arrayed that she would be. Uh, uh, it was granted she would be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb he said, these are the true sayings of God. This is what God has prepared for us, an amazing wedding feast a wedding celebration, a time of rejoicing, a time of intimacy with Jesus. But it's more than that too, because those who are with him in that also come with him to conquer the earth or to establish the reign of Christ. Notice what it says there. It goes on, having talked about Jesus being the bridegroom, being worshiped as the lamb, the Lord God Almighty that reigns, it it then honors him, he's the groom, and we're the bride, and we're now in the marriage feast celebrating. Then it goes on to bring another picture. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So that's now a king and a judge. And then it says here, His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew himself. His clothes were a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. This is Jesus. And the armies of heaven, and the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, clean and white, followed him. Now, notice. First, there's the marriage supper of the Lamb, the celebration, the intimacy, the rejoicing, all our labors have been worthwhile, our sacrifices have been worthwhile, the price we're paid has been worthwhile, the cost, the, the difficulties, the persecutions, the hardships, the offenses, the setbacks, all of it's worthwhile in the sight of Him. All of those things become nothing. They seem little compared to the joy of being with Him. And then comes the millennial advancement of his kingdom and those who are with him arrayed in in fine linen clean and white that's exactly what the bride was dressed in so what a challenge for us so i want to just throw this challenge out you go back through and read this which are you wise or foolish i can't answer that for you only you can answer that and actually in the end it'll only be jesus who'll answer that because you'll gain entrance or you'll be excluded and uh, notice that here's the second question. What are you doing currently to deepen your intimacy with Jesus Christ? We have a lot of time on our hands now. Don't say you haven't got the time. The time is there. It's a matter of the condition of the heart. What are you doing to cultivate and deepen your intimacy with Jesus Christ? Uh, then thirdly, how strong or bright is your light shining? Are you passionate? Are you on fire for the Lord? Are you always glad to share the things of God? Do you have fresh words from God? Are you overflowing with the life of God? Or are you in a place of defeat that needs actually to face this and, and to deal with the root issues? What changes do you need to make? Think about this. This is an end time parable. Those who are ready entered. Those who were not ready were excluded. All my ministry life, all my life, In the Lord, from from the very earliest days, I have lived with this dream of being in the marriage supper of the Lamb, of being part of a coming kingdom, of ruling and reigning with Christ, of being in the first resurrection, understanding that it's not automatic because I'm a believer. I'm in those things. It requires a commitment to a life that honors and pleases Jesus. Would you make that commitment? You could make the first step today and give your life to Jesus Christ. your your life is filled with so many things. Perhaps you're here today and you're not yet a Christian. Well, Jesus came. He came to reveal the goodness, the love, the nature of God. He came to reveal also the ugliness of sin. He was crucified on a cross. He gave up his life on a cross for our sins. He was our representative, your representative, carrying your sin, carrying all the penalty of sin, so you could be free from sin, but not just free from sin, so you could come into a loving relationship like a husband and a wife, like with a loving person. He he loved us so much, he gave his life for us. But he requires something. The first step of all relationships is the commitment to that relationship by words. And Jesus said to everyone who received him, everyone who uh, um, received him, that believed on him or trusted their life to him, he gave power to become a child of God. That's the first step. Would you pray that prayer today? Why don't you just join with me in prayer? Just follow me. Close your eyes right now. Just as you close your eyes, become aware Jesus is here. He's alive. He loves you. He has a deep, deep affectionate love. So much he gave his life for you. Would you follow me in this prayer? Jesus, thank you for giving your life on the cross for me. You gave up your life to pay the price for my sins. You rose again from the dead on the third day. Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive my sins. And by faith, I receive you as my Savior. I receive forgiveness of my sins. I receive your Spirit into my heart. I become a burning lamp. I give you my life today, knowing that from this day forward, I'm a child of God, and I'm in relationship with you, of love and of marriage. Amen. If you're here also watching, just in the light of what I've shared, there's an urgency in this hour that you engage with Jesus Christ, that you build your prayer life, that you engage in deep intimacy, and you allow him to work in your heart and life. Don't just get busy with works, Let God access your heart and life so there's a fire of intimacy burning inside and the works flow out of passion and love and they flow out of a desire to honour Him. God bless you. See you again.